I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. Singapore has been at the forefront of conversations on innovation for decades. The city-state was one of the first in the world to embrace new developments in financial technology and secured a place as one of the fastest-moving countries in Asia in the deployment of blockchain and digital payment innovations. But last week, the country made headlines with the announcement of the world's first officially sanctioned blockchain-based cross-border payment system. Going where most only dream, the project, spearheaded by J.P. Morgan, Singapore's sovereign wealth fund, Temasek, and DBS Bank, promises to allow customers and clients access to instantaneous settlements and is being lauded as a watershed in the global financial system. To discuss it all, I am delighted to welcome Sapnindu Mohanty, the chief fintech officer of the Monetary Authority of Singapore, and who I can say with no hyperbole is one of the most influential people in the world when it comes to the shape of fintech in the years ahead. Here we go, yo. Sapnindu, thanks so much for making onto the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me and uh, love to catch up with you. Before we get into the operational dynamics of Partior, that's the name that's been given to this new platform, maybe you can sketch out for us in basic terms the problem that JP Morgan, Temasek, and DBS are, are trying to solve. This uh, announcement which happened uh, last week, and um, I called it watershed because uh, uh, I personally believe being a, being a central banker for now for over six years after 18 years with City, uh, that uh, one of the role in digital economy is to put together all as a fundamental rail. Whatever you do, whether it is payments or you do data exchange, and this particular space of the distributed ledger, what can be done with that, needs a fundamental rail. Well, that's certainly the issue we see around the world when you look at all the potential use cases and applications. Um, how do you find, uh, the you know, when looking at them all, which ones work and are practical? I mean, how did you even begin to tackle that? The genesis of that started with uh, the project Ubin, which uh, MAS uh, created a public-private partnership uh, experiment. We spent over five different phases looking at the technology behind uh, digital currency, can we take that technology and create an, uh, an efficient architecture for solving current payment challenges, especially cross-border? And that whole process uh, led to five experiments, as explained. And one of the objectives of that experiment that we've got to stop the experiment at some point of time. We've got to stop it. Perpetual experiment is not healthy for the industry. So we've got to stop somewhere and move to a commercial construct. Well, so as you're explaining, you have this uh, project to Ubin, and I hear what you're saying. Hey, experimentation is great, but eventually you have to do something. Um, but then what exactly is the primary pain point Palator is uh, taking aim at, given this blockchain uh, really base layer of experimentation? Partio, which got launched last week, is the commercial avatar of the project Ubin experiment, which MAS uh, initiated with the industry. 
it, it is it is essentially looking to solve a very fundamental challenges we see today in the cross border payment and and how do we take this all this nostro ledger accounts different ledgers put them into a shared ledger the name partio means shared and create an efficient uh, uh, shared ledger utility which will allow you to settle different cross border payment with different currencies efficiently uh, by eliminating all the multiple individual processes so that's the core construct of this platform what it wants to solve for of course it comes with the second uh, second and third order uh, uh, opportunity like providing better fx liquidity especially in regional market we have lot of regional currencies which needs uh, some amount of efficiency can this uh, shared ledger provide that efficiency ultimately you, we want to get to a point where this there is a public or a private public platform where banks can trust and able to share the ledger and make this process far more efficient well you, you know that's that's quite an aspiration and a and a goal uh, uh, to tackle i mean when you think about cross border payments um you know even if one bank wanted to sort of serve its own affiliate you know there could be multiple kinds of ledgers and certainly you'd have to go through correspondent banking systems and and lots of sort of intermediaries even within financial institutions so you know to to create a unified ledger is 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 quite ambitious um you know i'm looking again you know when you think about jp morgan the investment bank and then um uh timasec and and dps very different kinds of institutions you know how are they trying to tackle this problem like like what's what's their idea as to how to solve it but i think the challenge is if the difficulty is in coordinating across multiple ledgers uh could this issue be eliminated by bringing ledgers into the same platform i think that's the that's the core question we are asking uh, asking ourselves now that's what we are trying to building a multi currency and multi bank shared ledger infrastructure that allows participants to directly transact with each other in different currency this is part of a broader shift we are seeing of moving from bank specific products and services to industry level utilities uh, platforms and shared services once there is this shared platform especially for fx spot transaction and for currency let's say not covered through cls uh, there could be new products around intraday liquidity like intraday fx swaps which can be you can be using this platform so this solves for settlement efficiency and fx liquidity of course there are other additional value uh, such as you can we use as a smart contracts when you design a smart contract you need a smart code which will which will cater to smart payments uh, so this kind of infrastructure provide the necessary code which can be used or programmable money which can be used to execute smart contracts uh, as as they get uh, become as they become mainstream uh, product in in your future so that's that's the construct and that's what we're trying to solve and that's where the i call it fundamental infrastructure shared utility where banks are are moving away at least from a construct of a of a centralized single point ledger to a shared ledger construct so obviously then you know you're looking at you know putting all these different ledgers after this experimentation and these series of pilot projects onto a common platform and you've just finished mentioning you know this term blockchain which means that you're 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 obviously going to be running it um or you're thinking about 
trying to deploy a distributed ledger system, uh, and one, of course, that has a considerable degree of functionality insofar as different kinds of smart contracts can be deployed to, again, um, speak to these questions of F, uh, foreign exchange, liquidity, um, and, and, and moving mo- uh, money across borders. Uh, there's a lot to that, but just, you know, you, you can't help but but notice that when you have J.P. Morgan involved, and, and they certainly have their own or have been working now for, uh, you know, at, at least a year on their own J.P. Morgan coin, is, is this a project that either deploys the J.P. Morgan coin or is it a, an entirely distinct project from J.P. Morgan's? JPM coin, they're two different things. I think Parcher is a separate project uh, and JPM coin to me are separate in, separate infrastructure. As I said, the Partier project uh, came from the project Ubin journey, uh, where you're trying, uh, where you're trying many experiments to solve cross-border payment digital currencies. Partier is designed to be a, an open multi-bank network, and that will see participation from multiple commercial banks. JPM Coin, as the name suggests, is primarily an offering for the JPM customer. So, uh, if that that is a part of the construct. Uh, it is. It is. It is. Uh, can be one of the uh, underlying uh, currency they may try to plug in in this whole network. But this is two different things uh, uh, from a from a project and from a from a objective standpoint. That's really quite helpful, and I think clarifies things quite a bit. Uh, so, if it's not a closed system, is the aspiration then that it will be uh, open to most commercial banks? If you think about this, is essentially a shared ledger where you're bringing different Nostra account you used to have in different banks for different currencies to a single shared ledger. And, and that shared ledger has to have every bank participating so that they can use that platform to do atomic settlement. So by, by design, it is an open ledger uh, shared with different banks. So what the underlying currency may be, from a ledger perspective, it is, it is, a, it is an open shared infrastructure. That is, again, extremely ambitious and, and, and really interesting. And I think you're going to get a lot of attention um, uh, from it. Uh, y- you know, you're obviously with uh, the Monetary Authority of Singapore. Um, you know, there have been these, these initial pilot projects, uh, but it's, it's being led, obviously, by, by these three uh, institutions at the moment. What's the role that y- you have been playing, um, and, and, and how do you foresee your participation in that as it's ultimately rolled out? You know, uh, this uh, this is an interesting uh, journey for me personally because uh, normally if you see uh, innovation comes from, uh, from a private sector putting together a new product and then the regulators responding to that change, once it hits certain level of uh, wider acceptance, it becomes more pervasive, right? That's a typical... Uh, life cycle for innovation. In this particular example, it is a central bank which took a proactive stance to come together with industry and 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 start experimenting almost same time where the industry is trying to grapple with this whole new world of DLT ledger digital currency. Why did we do that? Because we had this co- uh, principle or a concept in 2015 when we put together this fintech strategy that we will not front run innovation. Will not run behind innovation, but we'll run together. And to run together, the MAS as a regulator must invest their experimental need 
uh, along with the industry so that we together will learn, understand the opportunity and risk such new tech stack or new business model brings. So that's the spirit at which we went about. And, and Project Duin, by the way, is not only one we did like that. It has, there are many projects for different use cases where MAS as a regulator invests its own time and resources to come together with the industry to pursue experiment. But, but let me be very clear. Our goal is that we should end every experiment with a production outcome. And it must be rooted to three things. It must have a value for the citizens. It must uphold uh, the, 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 the basic non-negotiable regulatory obligation, AML, KYC, and all, all stuff. And third, it should be truly changing the life uh, and, and, the, and the design of a sector to be far more efficient than it is today. So if that, those principles are, 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 are observed, we move, move to this partnership. You did mention you know, uh, that, that this is uh, a, a project that, and it's really an interesting philosophy, you know, that, that if you're going to experiment with something, ideally you'd want to experiment with it in a way such that you can fine-tune it, test it, and get it out so that there's some utility and, and usefulness to, to the exercise. Do you, when, when do you expect a party to be operable? Okay, so I think your question are when the party will be, will be in operation. Yes, they are in the, pro, in the process of building the tech stack. Um, but uh, as they put together the business model, it will come for, uh, for, for uh, a review. And I'm sure uh, the, 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 the company, the new, new company is looking at to get it out as early as possible. Of course, we will be looking at to get, get to see the, in, in this year, hopefully, the, the platform at least kick off few initial pilot use cases to start with. But I, I must say the, that the technology stack is in the path of getting into production very soon. Do you see sort of any evolution in terms of what kinds of uh, services may be rolled out up, uh, you know, at the in, in an initial phase and then later what, what they could roll out? I personally believe that most, that there uh, there'll be two, there will be two layers of, uh, of services. First is, for any wholesale payment settlement, this platform becomes definitely an attractive platform to solve if you're using a new way of settling institutional payments between banks and large institutions. But beyond that, I think I personally believe that the biggest advantage this platform will bring to the whole growth of smart contracts. That's because for every smart contract to execute, there must be a smart payment. Uh, which has to be encoded in that construct. And to have a smart payment, you must be connected to a shared ledger where you are able to settle efficiently uh, at the point of contracts being executed. So having that platform is absolutely necessary for us to, uh, uh, to, to get it there so that the growth of smart contract becomes far more uh, sustainable and scalable. Yeah, you know, getting to the, to the to scalability question, um, you know, you've you've obviously been involved in in lots of uh, both pilots. I mean, this is a new phase, I think, uh, when you think about the, the the actual commerciability and bringing to market uh, phase. But do you foresee um, uh, any kind of speed with which this kind of project should scale, given the network effects that you just described? Yeah, the, I mean, absolutely. The network effect is important for such payment infrastructure. So there is a need to drive adoption and drive transaction volumes. There will be need uh, there will be need to be an uh, initial push then that is best done through solving an acute need or challenge that customer face today. 
much of the regional trade today will, will still take place in US dollar. So the ability to settle instantly in US dollar around the clock will definitely uh, garner strong interest from consumer from customers. So as the network grows with more banks, more currencies, more customer, more market makers, and better FX liquidity, the value proposition will only grow stronger for those customers. You know, this is not just a, a technical challenge, but you know, and, and you kind of alluded to it. It's there's also a, a regulatory aspect to it. Um, you, you had noted the uh, necessity of making sure that that this kind of system is compliant with uh, anti-money laundering and know your customer rules and regulations. Were, were there any other regulatory questions that you had to think through? And, and, and what's the process that the MAS sort of uh, plays in, in informing how this kind of platform is built when it comes to uh, regulatory and, and, and compliance uh, priorities? And I think you, 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 I think you made a point around international context. For a digital currency to be relevant for use in an international context, there has to be infrastructure and regulatory policies that support cross-border transfers of the currency in a safe and accountable manner. Aside from payment trail, other foundational digital infrastructures such as digital IDs need to be considered. So for 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 such factors, you also have to consider. Uh, things like uh, instant screening for AML, CFT checks, FX process uh, to ensure that you have an efficient reconciliation process needs to be considered because as the regulators are, will look for uh, giving regulatory uh, approvals, these are something core to them. They're going to look at for look for this uh, uh, things uh, in the in the platform design and ensure that uh, that your AML CFTs are taken care. You, your your transaction efficiency are maintained. So this is the standard regulatory uh, expectation uh, this platform will have as they go through the go through the regulatory approval process. Yeah, you know uh, when you are doing this um, kind of cross border project, um, practically speaking, um, you know there's a good degree of of let's call it fintech diplomacy that 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 that's required. You know, um, and and when you when you aspire to move. Money. I mean, when you when you start talking about payments, I mean that that kind of goes to the core of of the sort of economic interests of of different kinds of countries. What does that coordination look like practically uh, when you're going after uh, uh, payments and and you're trying to tackle this particular uh, problem? Look, uh, you use the word fintech diplomacy. I mean, well, uh, one of the thing I, I observed in this space uh, that. Uh, uh, there are three layers of getting things across. First thing is that you, it, it, it is uh, this particular this space, uh, especially across the border when you talk to different fellow regulators, uh, the first thing we've got to do always is to, and which regulators are very good at, they ask, ask a very pointed question, so what? And and we've got to answer that question, so what? Uh, why, why we need to do this differently? So, uh, so that's one piece we we always uh, tend to look at and and try to answer the question. Second is that once you answer your so what question, the second question comes: How do you go about it? And uh, what we do uh, generally, because we 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 work with the industry, we we have built some capacity, we have built some understanding of these new ideas, new technology. We offer some kind of a, uh, a partnership where we can take this heavy lifting and start working on a possible partnership or a pilot. That's the second stage. 
And the third stage where the rubber hits the road. Okay, once you're done with the pilot uh, and, you're, and there's general understanding that this is a good idea to scale and make it much more uh, formal, uh, then comes the prevailing local regulatory uh, uh, consideration to be built in and agreed upon. And I just went through a recent uh, launch of uh, another foundational infrastructure connectivity of, of our payment system where two domestic payment systems got connected. Uh, that's another infrastructure on the same payment space. But the regulatory al alignment I had to do over a couple of years just shows that it is it is a very complex but uh, need to do uh, steps as you think about as you like as you say fintech diplomacy where it is not only words but actions which makes the big difference. Cross border payments, you know, is is certainly been a panacea that that. Uh, Lots of folks have tried to get at. I mean, you know, when you think about the initial rollout of, of, of Libra, you have different kinds of stablecoin projects that are in the works. Um, you know, when you engage in that particular diplomatic process, you know, how much is that happening against the backdrop of these other kinds of, 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 of projects? And is there is there something that that you think coming from Singapore that that Singapore has? To teach uh, or any lessons, you know, uh, both against the backdrop of history um, and, and, and lessons that other regulators around the world may be able to take from the, the the party or project in particular. Let me give an example. Recently, we went, you know, Thailand and uh, Singapore went uh, uh, connecting the domestic payment system. Now, I think we got to observe what really the history behind that connectivity. Both the countries focused on making that local domestic system highly efficient. Like Thailand, Singapore put together a payment infrastructure on top of the faster payment system called PayNow. What is PayNow? PayNow is essentially a very simple system where your bank details are mapped to, a, to an identity number or a mobile phone number. So as an as an as a impact of that or as an effect of that, uh, Singapore in Singapore, two account holders can send money to each other by just asking that mobile phone number number or national ID number. And they need to do in three clicks, zero cost. So if you have a system which runs on a zero cost, three clicks, just I know need to know your mobile phone number, you wonder that is there any inefficiency left for the market to do outside this public rail infrastructure? And that happened in Singapore and that happened in, uh, in Thailand. Then we thought, you know what? We have thus done our domestic payment system highly efficient. How about connecting this to cross-border? Uh, with the same amount, same simplicity. So, so then Thailand and Singapore came together. The idea is exactly same. Three clicks, simplicity of the transaction. As long as I know a Thai number or, th or somebody from Thai knows a Singapore mobile phone number, they can use that to connect mm -hmm. and send money in three clicks at a cost. As uh, They're trying to keep it less around three, three to five percent of total value of transfer, which is way better than today, uh, which runs somewhere around 30, 40 and 20%. And the, and the transfer takes place in, in, in few minutes, as again, a couple of hours, in a few days. And with the full, with the full blown checks of online screening, all checks as expected from cross-border transfers. Now, why I'm sharing with you? Because you can only build all these things if you are ground up, which means you have to build the fundamental infrastructure, you have to build the right capacity, right, right talent pool. Uh, a very deep understanding of the trend, market trend, then you can work with other jurisdictions to bring synergy. 
and uh, and, the, and 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 another example in this which would just to illustrate uh, a different way of thinking how we move about in uh, innovation you know the payment regulation in singapore in 2015 was actually a single regulation now we could have taken that same regulation and asked all the payment fintech player to uh, to adhere to but that would have been a very bad choice because you would have disproportionately put a very complicated regulation on a small little fintech doing a little activity what we did we followed the fintech trend as fintechs are unbundling the payment services industry we unbundled our regulation to seven small module based on activity they do uh, so now it become an activity based regulation uh, where the regulation is proportionate to the risk that activity brings so so those kind of regulatory response infrastructure in uh, build up experimental mindset becomes the uh, the the recipe for moving uh, in the space of innovation in financial sector uh, faster more thoughtful and more impactful that's extraordinarily interesting really you know you're you're saying even as much as t- as technology and innovation can power you forward you you can't miss the essential steps and if you want to go internationally it, it's really useful to make sure that domestically you have both a regulatory system and already the technology largely thought out Sapnindu, thank you so much for joining the show. This is really interesting, and and I know it's going to be of of, of uh, enormous help both in the here in the United States and and in other parts of the world. Thank you. Thanks for having me. The interesting thing about fintech is that being first matters. Financial technology, like the greater digital economy, is one built on network externalities. And the more people or actors that opt onto a platform, the more the platform will usually, all else being equal, either be more efficient or profitable or both when compared to competitors. Now, this makes announcements like Sapnindu's really important. They point to a landscape where the race to build a next-generation cross-border payment system is very much underway. And it's one where Southeast Asia, with some participation by a leading U.S. bank, is taking an early and high-profile jump into the space. The response both in the region and around the world will be worth watching. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.